Hi everyone, welcome back to the Espresso series with your hosts Grace and Honor. This week we are joined by Anna Cowan and Alice Dunham from Girls Against. Uh, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, Anna, can we start with you? Of course. Uh, hi, my name's Anna. Uh, I'm a fourth year sociology and politics student at the University of Edinburgh. and I'm also one of the co-founders of the campaign Girls Against. Alice, over to you. Hi, my name's Alice. I'm from Essex. Uh, I studied theatre at Plymouth University. I'm 22 and I'm a representative for Girls Against. Grace is going to tell us a little bit more about Girls Against, but thank you guys so much for joining us on the show this week. Thank you for having us. So Anna, could you tell us, what is Girls Against? So Girls Against is an organisation that was founded in 2016 um, after multiple uh, women had come to us and said that they had experienced some form of sexual assault or harassment at live music events. Um, And we kind of all realised to ourselves that this was a problem that hadn't really been addressed head on within that specific context at a a gig. Um, So we formed and ever since then, we've just continually kind of grown as an organisation. We focus a lot on education and providing resources for survivors. Um, Obviously, due to the pandemic, we're very social media based at the moment. But yeah, we're quite, we do a lot of variety of things, but we focus mainly on music and gender and music. So how did this come about? Because obviously it's never been addressed before and we've never seen a group quite like yours which addresses sexual assault and sexual harassment uh, at gigs. Where did the inspiration to start this movement come from? So essentially we were a group of very excitable young teenagers loving gigs, you know, feeling like we're really cool, rebellious. But there was this kind of sinister undertone that we would often not feel safe in the crowd Um there was always a you know, very intimidating older men and it did feel quite gendered. Um, and we all had a massive interest in feminist, feminism and feminist activism. So we just thought to ourselves, we might as well do something about this. Um, one of us had been um, assaulted at a gig and that was just like the step too far. And we were like, do you know what? We need to do something. So we started up a Twitter account and we tweeted the lead singer of the band, the gig we were at uh, called Peace. And he tweeted about us and gave us loads of support. And from there, like lots of news outlets like NME and The Guardian picked up on it. And it kind of just grew overnight. It was quite overwhelming. But yeah, that's kind of how we started. That must have been very overwhelming at like such a young age to suddenly be put into like the media spotlight and suddenly be, you know, having these major media outlets coming at your door, sort of knocking on, asking for your opinions on things. What was that like as an experience as a young woman who had never really been involved in the media and hadn't been media trained whatsoever? Oh my gosh, it was just so overwhelming. I really should have told myself from the start not to read the comments on articles on Facebook because there's a lot of middle-aged men who like to have an opinion, as you can imagine. Um, and I actually, along with one of the other founders, was on BBC Breakfast, um, which was crazy. But yeah, like you said, we weren't media trained, so I did feel very inexperienced. And looking back at it, I cringe so much. But we've kind of gotten used to it. And, you know, obviously, have we as we've matured and grown as an organisation and as people... It's kind of something you get a bit used to, but obviously the momentum's died down from then, but it's still something you've got to deal with. I was just going to ask, how about you, Alice? How did you come to find and be involved with Girls Against? So with Girls Against, I kind of saw that they were advertising on Twitter for representatives. Um, So I reached out. um, I'm quite an avid fan of music, and this was when I started uni, so it was kind of 
starting to explore that going out, going to the clubs, going to live music scenes. Um, and there was a lot of things that didn't sit right with me necessarily, like going to clubs and men groping you and thinking that's okay. Like the objectification was just something that I didn't really want to stand for, especially in the music scene, which I love so much. So it was just like a, I need to, need to be a part of this really, yeah. And had you seen discussions of these issues before or was Girls Against your, your first experience of that? Um, so not necessarily in my era, but um, I think Girls Against was this, like the starting point for girls my age, so I'm 22 now. Um, so at this point in time, there hasn't been anything like Girls Against. So it's so refreshing to see a group of girls come together and go, no, we're, we're, we're sorting this out. Um, which is lovely, I think. Great great to be a part of. So, obviously, as time has progressed since you were 16, you've obviously developed um, as a group and as a, as a to help girls at gigs. How do you protect people from harassment and assault at gigs? What are your kind of methods and your means? So, we have a few kind of methods that we use. Obviously, it's such a complicated issue and there's a lot of social kind of implications of it to do with misogyny and gender inequality and racial inequality. But the things that we feel we're able to do, firstly, is through education. Um, we provide a lot of resources for people. One of our best is the Bystander Booklet, which is for anyone who attends live music or anything um, who may be a bystander and witness something happen and what to do, how to intervene in that situation to protect the victim. Um, as well as that, we ensure that we, we try to lobby for like security companies and for venues to implement training, but that is really difficult. Um, a lot of the time we're kind of just like feigned off because we're either not taken seriously as young women or they just don't see the issue as wide enough to be addressed. Um, it also is really bad publicity for them which is just so shallow because it's, it is a problem. Um, but yeah, we our kind of core concept, idea is just talking about it and making sure that it's well known because I do remember when we first started, so many like older people firstly had said they'd experienced it when they were younger, but also a lot of people didn't even know what happened, particularly men. Um, we did have a few men being like, oh, oh, in all my years of gig going, I've never seen this happen. And it's like, well, you've never seen it because you're a man, you know? You've, you've not been in those spaces. So we do think that talking about it in education is the best way to do it. It's such a complicated thing, especially when you've got those deniers who say, oh, it didn't happen because I didn't see it. You know, there's a lot of, you know, ignorance that you have to fight against. Um, and that puts you in the spotlight for a lot of harassment and a lot of hate, which kind of reaffirms your point that it's happening in the first place. If people have to, like, be outright denying it uh, in such a vehement way, it kind of slightly lends itself to the idea that it is happening and people just sort of want to keep it under wraps. Certainly, it seems very... It, it seems ridiculous that security companies do not train their detail members to protect young women in clubs at you know, such a young age. I mean, have you got any hopes and ambitions to train teams in the end to go and uh, get involved in gigs and gig scenes in the future? Well, we've done a bit of work on that so far. Um, the one security group called Security Group um, did implement training as a result of us, which is really, really great. Um, but we work a lot with a charity called Good Night Out, whose entire premise is training staff. Um, I don't know if they train security, but they train staff um, at different venues around the UK um, on how to intervene and how to protect um, those who might be, fall victim to sexual assault. 
Um, it would be, we, we have been working for quite a few years on some kind of document to give security companies to be like, here's the evidence that this is an issue, now do something. But that is quite a long haul process. So hopefully we'll get there in the end. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hopefully you will. Um, so kind of leading on from that specific aim, what are some of your other aims, both kind of specifically and for the overall impact of Girls Against? So I think, our, well, just speaking personally, I think some of our aims are to make people aware of the situation um, and to speak out about it. I think there's a lot of um, issues regarding the law of what you can't say and it's about getting that support without interfering too much with that. Um, at the end of the day, we are a group of young adults. We haven't been media educated or educated in the law, so we do what we can and we use resources to the best of our ability. Um, so, yeah, at the start, it was definitely more band focused, like, yeah, let's get bands on our side. But now we're kind of not taking a step back, but re-evaluating that. And especially in times like the pandemic, we've been looking at ways that we can do our work through social media. So we've started highlighting women and non-binary people who work behind the music scenes and giving them a chance to put their PayPal links and do an interview to try and gather some support for these people. Yeah. So you said that part of the background from Girls Against was that you all had an interest in feminism. Has that kind of changed or have you evolved? Has you, have your values and interests as feminists evolved with Girls Against? I think yes and no. Like the kind of core passion that we've always had remains and like I will always be a very like, I remember in school like being like the feminist of like the year and like all that. And I feel like that passion and that kind of anger still exists. But I do think that we have had to um, ensure that we're intersectional and that we're being inclusive. And we've definitely become more well-read. I mean, obviously aged 15, 16, we weren't, we were still in school and we tried our best, but we were always messing up in one way or another. So I definitely think now, whilst our core values remain, we've expanded on that and just tried to be inclusive because we are you know, mainly a group of white women. So I think it's important that we definitely tackle the issue intersectionally. Like, like I said earlier, you know, women of colour are more likely to be harassed than white women. So I think that when you're in a crowd, it's important to acknowledge these disparities that exist. So yeah, that's something that has changed. And it's not to say at the beginning we didn't acknowledge that, but we've just, as we've gotten older and read more and grown, we've understood it more, if that makes sense. That's so fantastic that you've grown as an organisation though, because it's very difficult at a young age to educate ourselves. And I think also we have to recognise that the education system that we've grown up in, which is for all th four of us, uh, British, it doesn't teach feminism. It doesn't teach about intersectionality of ideologies. It simply only teaches the ideologies which it endorses, which are not intersectional in the slightest. So the fact that you've gone out there and educated yourself, obviously we don't want to like congratulate ourselves and be very self-congratulating, but it's still, it's still, um, it's a step in the right direction. And on the kind of topic of education, um, how do you use your platform to educate people? What is the main way that you want to spread education? What are your comments and your ethos about this? Um, I think, well, firstly, what a project we've been working on at the moment, like Alice mentioned earlier, um, is the project where we're highlighting different individuals, um, women and non-binary people and people of other genders um, who work in the music industry and the kind of are almost forgotten about. So it's not it's not musicians. We're focusing on 
the photographers and the um, engineers and the managers and kind of people who, when you think of the music industry, you don't always think of, particularly from a gendered lens, um, because it's safe. It, I, there was a statistic I read recently, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but a lot of female photographers um, get sexually harassed and it's not talked about. And I think with our campaign, as we grow, like you said, um, we should encompass not just musicians, but everyone involved in the scene. So that is definitely one element of the educational kind of perspective that we've tried to do. Because we're educating ourselves as well. Like we, I mean, I at least am not involved in the music scene in that way. Like I'm not a musician or anything. So I didn't even know about a lot of these intricacies. Um, Alice is involved in theatre, so you definitely know more about that side of it. Yeah, I think it's just about having them open discussions with the whole team. Like, you're not going to tackle this by just speaking to bands. You need to speak to the whole team and make everyone aware of it. Um, and I think that's where our education really stems from. And we've, we have open discussions all the time about what's right, what's wrong, what we should be doing. We listen to a lot of people. Um, and I think we hold ourselves accountable as well for actions. So we just need to make sure that, yeah, we're using our voices, we're listening to other people. And I think that's where it kind of stems from, education. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of using your voices for the greater good, have you encountered issues when calling out people for their bad behaviour? I mean, what has been the big problems for you when it comes to trying to hold people accountable for their actions? So there has been issues in the past, as we've, we're well aware. Um, I recently took it upon myself to do a media law course because um, I write quite a bit for the blog. And you've got to bear in mind the people we discuss and the people we have communications with are very capable of suing and prosecuting if you say something wrong. So you need to be aware of defamation. You can't wrongly accuse someone. So you can't write, I think this, or this person has done this, um, because you are breaking the law, not unless it's proven. So it's about finding that support for the victim and also abiding by the law and still supporting where you can. Like, you have to listen. You can't just rush on assumptions, I think. Yeah, just to follow on from that, it's so frustrating for us as well because, like, we, we will always believe survivors no matter what. Like, that is the eth like the centre and the ethos of our campaign and all of our feminisms. And yet not being able to necessarily, like, talk openly about specific instances is extremely frustrating. Um, well, at the beginning, we did receive a lot of messages from people naming bands or artists and the specific people who've maybe done something to them. Uh, we have done our best to kind of uplift that. And if they want to talk about it, you know, we'd share it. But we try not to get too involved within, like, the, that side of it. Because, like Alice said, we're we're not trained necessarily to deal with... We're not lawyers. <laughs> and lawyers are scary. <laughs> so we don't want to get involved with that. But, like I said, no matter what, no matter what the situation is, we will support survivors in any way we can. I completely agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. That must have been really intimidating to deal with at first, kind of maybe realising that all that you wanted to provide for people, you couldn't necessarily provide every dimension. But I think it's great that you do provide what you can for survivors, and obviously that's super important. So what what do you provide for survivors specifically? So one of the first things we do is obviously like giving specific resources to people who need it. Um, if there's been a specific um, issue that's happened to somebody, like a like 
rape um we will supply them with like a specific charity or number but we have initially kind of acted as like an impartial place where people can talk about it like we don't necessarily give support but we like we don't give like advice legal advice but we offer support and we offer like a friendly face or a friendly like person to speak to if you need to because I do think so much of the time if you have been a victim of something it's scarier to talk to people you know than people you don't at least from a lot of people I've spoken to it's easier to talk to just like a stranger because they don't know anything about you um but yeah, and, and like I said earlier, we've worked with groups like Good Night Out to get training on how to actually um, help those who have been through something. But it, it, like I said, it's so complex and obviously this isn't any of our full-time jobs. So it's so hard to know the right thing to do completely. So at least what I've tried to do is keep up a contact with people who might have shared something that's happened to them so that they can let this traumatic thing come out and be out there and then they continue to be supported after that. Because it's even just talking about it is so hard um so we just try to be there for people i think obviously that's such a difficult thing for you also as a young woman to experience is to consistently be you know seeing other women being consistently assaulted and raped and hurt in spaces and environments that are supposed to be a place of enjoyment and entertainment what other collaborations with other feminist societies have you done because i know that you've worked with quite a few people uh, on some different uh, awareness uh, kind of club nights and uh, fundraisers. Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, the events that you've put on recently? Sure. Um, so, yeah, like I said, obviously we can't be um, experts in every element of feminism and gender and whatnot. So we really like to do collaborations with different groups because it's also just really fun. Um, so a couple of years ago... Um, I'm I'm on this expression committee at Edinburgh Uni um, and we did a collaboration with Sexpression um, for International Women's Day where we held a gig and we raised money for Edinburgh Rape Crisis, which was just amazing. But we've done so many different um, collaborations with charities and I'm trying to think of some now. Alice, can you think of more? Uh, good night out, we mentioned that. Um, Your sneaky Pete's night. I I had a, I saw that. Yeah. That looked that looked pizza resistant. Was good. That looked like a lot of fun. It was great. Um, um, but like. How have you expanded your community and like what and how would you like to expand more? Because obviously through, you know, working with other charities and societies on campus, you're expanding your community. But where would you like to go next? Have you got any visions for the future once COVID uh, kind of gives us a little bit more leeway, hopefully on the 21st of June? But uh, who knows at this point? If only. Um, I think just potentially reaching out with the United Kingdom, like we have done... There are some people in the States who have worked with us previously, but I think it would be amazing to have even more of a global reach um, and not just be UK based, because like we said earlier, we want to be inclusive of everyone, but that is difficult because we are UK based. Um, but I think just more club nights and more gigs and fundraisers, because at the end of the day, like we want to bring the joy that music brings back into it. We want to ensure that it is a fun and safe environment for everyone, because that is like what music should be. Um, and us being there and having a visible presence often makes people feel a lot more comfortable and at ease because they know that if something does happen, we will deal with it and we will we will sort that out. I think that's so important is that like kind of like in the next section of your journey, I think it's definitely great for you guys to create those kind of safe spaces 
in you know gig like areas so are you planning on expanding into like getting trained yourself as security detail members so when you host these club nights people know that they can come to you if you've got like either like a shirt on or like a badge or something do you like to tell us a little bit more about that and your experience of that in the past maybe yeah well we've mainly done a bit of that ourselves like us being there um and while we've tried like i said try to get security companies involved it's so difficult um, so I would really like us to have more training um, in that area. Um, one other thing that we did realise was we've never had training about self-care and how to, when you hear these traumatic stories, how to deal with that yourself. Because often when we are the ones providing a lot of support to people, we often forget to support ourselves. And I think a lot of people who are involved in activism can relate to this. Um, burnout definitely happens. And it can be quite tra traumatic for us too, because we've all been through our own things as well. Um, so I'd really love for us to have some kind of training to do with that. But I, I, like I said, I just can't wait for everything to get back out there because I love being at a gig and having Girls Against as a presence. Because people also just love talking about it and get really excited about the campaign. Um, even if they, they're not necessarily needing support, they just want to chat. It's lovely. Yeah, I think it's so important for you to have a physical presence and especially for women and people of marginalized genders and diverse genders to have a physical presence so is that something that you want to see more from security teams in general yeah it would be lovely i think to just have a diverse range of security teams so you've always got someone to talk to um anna's mentioned before about having at least one person who's on security um, identify as a female so you feel like you've got someone to talk to because sometimes you go to gigs and there's big burly men as security you don't you don't necessarily feel like they'd understand I'm sure they're lovely but like they haven't got that lived experience which is what you need you need to be able to talk to someone okay my next question um, is kind of going to spark debate but we've talked about this before um when we had a chat with you guys uh before this interview but you guys have been accused of not being intersectional enough as you know your name suggests girls against you recently ran a poll where you changed your where you kind of discussed the idea of woman with an x instead of woman with an a what was the general response to that and how do you think you've worked on becoming more intersectional in you know recent months yeah, so that poll kind of came from a kind of debate within our organisation because we didn't know whether that was a word that actually was as inclusive as it might seem. So yeah, we decided to make a poll and make sure that it was um, people like trans women and women and any anyone um, who identified with like being femme would respond to it um, with what they what they feel that word does for them. And it was really interesting. We got a, definitely a mix of responses. Um, some people said they preferred it because it didn't. It, it wasn't explicitly women or man, it was like this kind of in the middle, which is what they felt like. Um, other people said that they didn't really know who the term serves because it just works kind of as another othering, another way of othering people. And that's kind of the conclusion we came to. We were like, Do you know what, who is, who is this benefiting um, if not like patriarchal structures? Like I feel like we should include everyone who wants to be a woman as a woman. Like it should, that is just the word that exists and can continue to exist. You know, the meanings of words can change and who they relate to change. I don't think you need to make, I mean, this is just my opinion. And like I said, lots of people did like the word. So just as an organization coming to these kind of conclusions can be really hard because um, people will always disagree with you, but that's what we thought. And we hope that that is the most intersectional way of approaching it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's good that you're engaging with your followers and your community to see what what language they will like you to use so they'll feel the most included. Along those kinds of lines, um, there's a lot of discourse around how trans men and mask non-binary people feel sometimes left out of inclusion efforts because of the whole term either women with an X, which is what you were talking about just now, or women and non-binary people. So how do you plan on or how do you already include trans men and mass non-binary people and any other genders that don't feel represented by women and non-binary people or women with an X? What annoying thing is that our name is Girls Against and we started that in such, we, we named it that in such passing and I almost regret in some ways having that because we do want everyone who feels included to be included. You know, we say, we use the terms women and men when we're talking about like victims and perpetrators. But like when I say protecting women, I do mean anyone of a marginalized or diverse gender. And I, I really hope that our campaign does come across as that. I don't want people to think that it's trans exclusionary when it absolutely is not. And we do also acknowledge that men and trans men can be victims too. Um, and we really try and incorporate that because it's, it's, it's complicated because the dynamic is so gendered, um, but it, everyone is affected in one way or another. Um, so we just have to keep reminding ourselves of that and keep keep ourselves in check because that's we're here for everyone, you know. I think it's a really, really complicated line to tread, and I'm sure there's lots of work, which more work that needs to be done on it. But certainly, including trans men uh, and trans women and non-binary people in discussions around these things is super important. Now, I want to know, as a as a cisgender woman who likes to attend gigs, even though she wears headphones because she's autistic, how can I get involved with Girls Against in the future? Because I would quite like to attend one of your gigs. So we're on all social media platforms, so you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have a new flashy website with a blog and a video, you know. Um, obviously, doing podcasts. Um, yeah, so just follow us, keep an eye out. Um, yeah, we post a lot, so enjoy it. <laughs> all links, by the way, to these guys' work will be in the bio of this description, so you guys can just go and check out their Instagram and follow their link tree from there. But over to Grace. Yeah, I was just going to ask um, where our listeners can access your advice and resources, but I suppose you've pretty much already listed your website and social media, so would you say that those are the places to go? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you want some more personal resources or just want someone to talk to, you can always slide into the dms um one of us will answer we're always about for a friendly chat so yeah definitely all right guys that's all we've got time for today this has been the espresso series with your hosts grace and honor and the lovely anna and alice from girls against you can find all of their links in our bio down below and as usual stay caffeinated